One day when I was a kid, my dad came home from work and he picked me up, told me he had a surprise for me, uh, asked me to get in the car and we started driving. I had no idea where we were going or what was happening. I was just starting to pick up on clues on the direction we were going and how long it was taking. We went through the city a little bit. We got on the highway. Um, I still didn't know what was happening. I kept asking him, where are we going? What's happening? Uh, and he wouldn't tell me. He just said, go ahead and keep guessing. Um, but this is a surprise. And so we kept going. And eventually, we're headed to Toronto until the point where we got kind of right downtown. And he exited the highway right downtown Toronto. And all of a sudden, for me, it clicked. And I realized where we were going. Now, I can't overstate this. When I was a kid, baseball was my life. I loved everything about baseball. I loved playing it. I loved watching it. Uh, I was a huge fan of the Blue Jays. And all of a sudden, I realized when we were getting off at the highway that my dad was taking me to a Blue Jay game. And I was so excited. Every time I got the opportunity to go to a Jays game, um, I was so pumped. This was huge for me. And so uh, we got off the highway. We went and parked the car. And we got out of the car, ready to go to the game. And all of a sudden, I realized I was really excited. But I just said to him, oh, dad, If I had known we were coming here, I would have brought my baseball glove because when you're a kid and you go to a professional baseball game, you need to be prepared because the best thing that could possibly happen to you is that a a pop-up, a foul ball comes your way and you need to be ready to get the greatest souvenir uh, that you can get at a baseball game and catch that ball. And so whenever I went as a kid, I made sure that I had my baseball glove. So we get out of the car and I say that to my dad. I'm, I'm still really excited and everything, but I say, man, that's, this is the only thing. If I had just known I would have brought my baseball glove, I would have been ready. And right at that point, my dad pops the trunk, he reaches in, and he tosses me my baseball glove. Oh, it was such a good moment. It was that amazing father-son moment where I just... He knew exactly what I wanted. He knew exactly what I would need to totally enjoy that game. And he had thought about it and made sure that it was there for me. And I, it was just like the cherry on top of the Sunday. It was so perfect. And my dad had a lot of titles in his life, just like all of us do. He was a husband and a son and a brother and a pastor. But in that moment, he was my dad. He was my dad. And just father to son experiencing this great, great moment of being on the same page and me knowing that he knows me and he knows exactly what I would need and want and he thought about it and he prepared for it. In the scriptures, there are a lot of titles that we have for God that help to describe his essence and his function, different ways that we think about who God is. Listen to this one from Psalm chapter 68 verse 5. Father to the fatherless, defender of the widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. The fatherless and the widows are um, symbolic or um, representative of vulnerable people, people who are most in need. And especially in that culture, um, women who weren't uh, married, didn't have a husband or were widowed, and children who didn't have a father uh, would have a very hard time being provided for, would be amongst the most vulnerable people that needed to be cared for in the most practical ways. And here the psalmist says, Father to the fatherless, defender of the widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. 
And at a time like this in our world, where so many of us are so needy and feeling our needs so much, it's amazing to read these descriptions of God. Amazing to read that God is the father to the fatherless. That he is there for those who are in need. Today, whatever your situation is, and whatever you might be anxious about or worried for, whatever your needs are that might right now be unmet or that you're concerned might go unmet, you need to know that God knows your need. That that's part of who he is. It's part of who his essence is. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 6. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus' most famous uh, section of teaching that we get, a a sermon that he taught um, and is recorded for us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And there's this part uh, where he talks about the heavenly father, talks about the, the God who is the father to the fatherless, the one who defends the widows, the God who is there for people who are in need. Because he, he knew that we needed to know that God knows our need. Here's what he teaches on that. He says, therefore I tell you, and he had just taught about how um, God is our master, that God is in control of everything in comparison to money. And many of us, that's a, a hard tension because money seems so powerful if we have it. We have so many options. We have so many things we can do. If we don't have it, we're so limited. There's so many needs that seem to be filled by money. And so Jesus had taught about how uh, you can't have two masters. You have to pick who you're ultimately going to trust. Who ultimately gives you your security? Is it money or is it God? And then he comes here and says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? He starts by saying, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Anxious here, the word in Greek um, means to fall apart or to come apart. It's the feeling that we have when we're really worried. And some of us, we even use that language to say, man, I'm just falling apart right now. I'm so worried. I'm so scared. I, I don't feel like I have confidence. Instead, I feel like I'm scattered, like I'm everywhere, like I'm, I feel all of my needs. And Jesus wants to address that and says, don't live that way. And here's some things that we worry about, some of the basics of life, like what we eat and what we drink. And he argues uh, in a classic Jewish form um, that would have been familiar to him and to his hearers. He, he uses a, a device called arguing from the lesser to the greater. So he takes things that might be important, but then he compares it to things that are even more important. If you think this is important, then you'll understand how much more important this is. Don't you think food and clothing are important? Well, yes, we need those things. They're part of our survival But why are they important? Because there's something even more important, your bodies and your life. And when he uses the word life, he doesn't just mean biological life. He uses the word that we we might use to talk about our souls, our deep part of our life. Makes you think of Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Genesis 2 verse 7, you have this beautiful picture of God creating humanity. He says he creates uh, man from the dust. He forms him. And then there's this beautiful moment where God breathes breath into the man. And the man, it says, becomes a living person, a living being, or literally a living soul. He now has life, the spirit of God inside of him. 
And Jesus is here is talking about uh, the heavenly father, using this metaphor for God, of a father. And what does that mean? You think of what makes someone a father. Someone's a father because they create life, because they beget life. Without a father and, of course, a mother, there can be no children. And God is that. God is the one that breathes into us life, gives us real life, physical life, yes. But even more important than that, our spiritual life, our souls depend on God. He is our father. And don't you think if you're so focused on, I need food and I need clothing, I get it. That's important. Those are real concerns. But understand there's something even greater your bodies, and your soul. And don't you think God knows that and knows everything about you? He then uses an example. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. That word for the birds of the air and the word for heavenly Father, heavenly and air, they come from the same word. The heavens and the skies would be the same word in Greek that this was written in. And so there's a connection here. What Jesus is saying is, if you look into the skies, you'll see the birds. And you'll see that the birds work, but they don't do all the things that we do. They don't reap and sow and gather and all this kind of stuff. And yet, don't you see how God cares for them? If you look in the air, you'll see that. And then I think what he's saying with this play on words is, then you'll see your heavenly father. If you look in the air, you'll see birds who are taken care of. But if you really look into the skies, if you really look deeper than just that, that physical reality of the birds, you'll see a heavenly father. You'll see a reality that there is a God in the heavens or in the skies, a God that is all around you, that is your father who loves you and wants to protect for you and provide for you. Father who, again, this lesser to greater idea, if he takes care of even the birds, don't you realize that God understands value and how much more valuable you are than the birds? Can't you trust that if he'll take care of them, how much more is he going to be longing to take care of you? Look into the heavens, look into the skies, see the birds of the heavens, but also see the father of the heavens caring for you. Contemplate on that, meditate on that. Let it soak in as you see the birds who are fed and taken care of. It says in verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? And of course, the answer is none of us. We can't do that. That's something out of control. When it says in verse 26 that the father feeds them, it's this word that means he nourishes them so that they get bigger, so that they can grow. And actually in verse 27, there's two ways this can be translated. Can you add an hour to your life? It could also be translated because the words are ambiguous. Could you add a cubit to your height or your statue? A cubit is a measurement about your forearms length or maybe a foot and a half. Can you make yourself taller? No. Could you make yourself bigger? Well, maybe bigger, especially if you're stress eating during this pandemic, but you can't make yourself taller but God can make you taller. God can make you grow. God can give you everything that you need. Look into the heavens. Look at the birds and you'll find out how God loves you and provides for you. Because you need to know that God knows your needs just like he knows the needs of birds. 
Verse 28, another quick example, he says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O little, O you of little faith? You know, you, you look at the, the grass of the field or the flowers and how beautiful they are. And then he compares it to Solomon because we might say, well, I don't know if God's going to give me that much. And so he uses this example of Solomon who was so rich. Solomon in the Bible was so rich that this queen, the queen of Sheba came to see him and says, I heard that you were rich. I heard that you had everything. And now that I've come to see it, it's even more than I thought. You're just so wealthy. And God says, well, picture that. Yeah, he was made very, very wealthy. He had everything taken care of, but not even Solomon had what even the grass has. And don't you understand how much more valuable you are than the grass that they would just rip up and burn when they needed to use it. It's just here and then it's gone. God will give you everything that you need. He's watching over your life. Therefore, Jesus says, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. When he says he knows, he says he sees. He sees you. He sees your need today. He sees what you feel like you're going without. He sees what you're worried about. He is not oblivious to that. He knows exactly what you need. He says, listen, Gentiles run after these things. Gentiles, when he uses that word, he's talking about people who are spiritually fatherless. And I don't think he's using it in a pejorative way. I think it's almost in a sad way. Like when we would look, if, if you looked at a, a child who had experienced trauma and maybe lost his parents early on in life, and you track that and see how hard it is for those people to grow up and feel like they can trust people, and sometimes they start to feel like everything depends on them because they lost everything at an early age, and they didn't have a, a father, they didn't have parents that they could count on to provide for them. And he says, hey, people who are spiritually fatherless, they have to run after all these things. Some of our translations just say seek. They seek these things. It's the word seek with a little prefix on the front of it that intensifies it. And so well, the picture that we get here is these people, um, they're kind of hurried and maybe even anxious or panicked. I got to have more. I need more security. I need more stuff. I need more for me. I need to make sure that I'm taken care of because they believe it all depends on them. And so Jesus is kind of outlining this, this way of anxiety. How am I going to pay for this? How, how am I going to get enough? How, how am I going to get more? I got I to work harder and, and do more and, and maybe hoard things. And that kind of mindset comes out in, in a number of ways. When we think that we're on our own, we adopt a, an individualistic mindset. Life is all about me maybe me and my family, I need to make sure that we have enough, that, that it's not about everybody else, but uh, we got to look out for number one before we look out for anybody else. And we also adopt a scarcity-focused mindset that says there's not enough for everybody, that I need to make sure that I get what I need and compete with others to get it because there's not enough for everybody. And around the world in the last few weeks, we've seen people who've responded that way. People who are so worried of running out. People who are so worried that, that they won't have enough. And those, by the way, are, are real concerns. In one sense, legitimate concerns. But in another sense, Jesus calls us to live a different way. With different priorities. 
You have little faith. You don't have enough faith right now. You feel deficient. I'm calling you to trust even more that you have a heavenly father who will provide for you. That as you work hard, as you do what you need to do, God is going to show up for you. He says you need to know that God knows your need. You don't have to think that you're on your own. You don't have to think that it all depends on you. You don't have to think that you're going to go without. You don't have to live in this anxious and hurried way that is is saying, I always need more. I always need more. I always need more. I have to get more and achieve more and stockpile more and hoard more. Rather, Jesus says, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Verse 33, Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God. It's the same word that is used in the previous word, to seek, except now it doesn't have the prefix that intensifies it. Now instead of a hurried and anxious and you need to really hurry, you need to really go and seek these things, Jesus calls us to a different pace. Go seek the kingdom of God. You can be calm. You don't need to panic. You can go at a healthy pace. A pace that trusts that when you seek the things of God and the way that God does things, the kingdom of God, when we allow God to be in charge in our world, the way that ultimately he is in charge of the world, you don't have to hurry. You don't have to worry. You don't have to panic. And not because there's nothing to worry about. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say, oh, these are not legitimate concerns. But because you have a heavenly father. You're not fatherless. There's someone who loves you and wants to provide for you and who's going to show up for you. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the way of God, the way that Jesus shows us to live and his righteousness and all these other things. As we work hard and do the things we're supposed to do, God's going to ultimately make sure that we provide for us. Yes, we work and and we try and earn an income and all that kind of stuff. We try and care for our families. And and as we do things the way God calls us to do it, we trust that the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, will care for us. He says to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness means to be upright, to live uh, the way that God wants us to live. But what makes us upright? I mean, what does that mean? How do we decide that? Righteousness is a specific word all the way through the scripture, through the Old Testament in Hebrew, uh, and then here Jesus picking up on it. And sometimes um, we think that uh, being righteous is kind of our own personal morality. But listen to what Tim Keller, who's a a pastor, uh, a writer, a professor, talks about that word as he really studied what righteousness was, if you trace it through the scripture. He says, the righteous are by definition those who are willing to disadvantage themselves for the community, while the wicked are those who put their economic, social, and personal needs ahead of the needs of the community. Biblical righteousness is inevitably social because it is all about relationships. When most modern people see the word righteousness in the Bible, they tend to think of it in terms of private morality, such as sexual chastity or diligence in prayer and Bible study. But in the Bible, righteousness refers to -to day-to-day living in which a person conducts all relationships in family and society with fairness, generosity and equity in other words the righteousness of God is when we pursue caring for one another and providing for those who have needs when we start to to act towards others the way that God acts towards us 
I was reading this, and it doesn't come across in English, but if you read it in Greek, all the yous that Jesus says and, and all the, the, the things that he says to the people, they're all plural. He's not talking to an individual. He's talking to people and saying, you're all in this together. And I was just struck by that because so many of us, when we read the Bible, we think it's just, it's just about me. It's, it's my personal relationship with God. It's my uh, way of expressing my faith. And while that is true to an extent, I think in our society, as we just talked about, we often prioritize individualism and just me when in Jesus' culture, our faith, their faith would have been lived out in community. There's no separating just my faith and your faith. We're all in this together. We have a heavenly father and we are called to be siblings, to be family of God, brothers and sisters who live out the family values. We're all in this together. It's all plural. And maybe you could read this and say, well, of course they're plurals because Jesus is talking to a crowd. And so he's got to use plurals, all, all of you out there. But do you remember the Lord's Prayer? Jesus, uh, just a little bit earlier in this chapter, had taught his people how to pray. Here's how you should pray. And if you go through the Lord's Prayer, you ever notice that all the first person uh, pronouns are plural? It's not my Father who is in heaven. It's our Father who is in heaven. It's not give me my daily bread. It's give us our daily bread. It's not forgive me my debts, my sin. It's forgive us our debts. It's not lead me not into temptation. It's lead us not into temptation. That our faith needs to be worked out together collectively. We don't come alone because we have a heavenly father who loves us. And we don't just live our lives alone because we have our brothers and sisters and I think what Jesus is doing is inviting everyone to come into a way of life, a way of living that acknowledges you have a father. You don't have to be spiritually fatherless. You don't have to live alone. You have a father. And you're invited into a community of brothers and sisters who will live this out together. So what will be our application? I would say this. Don't worry alone. Work together. Don't, don't, don't isolate yourself. I know physically speaking, uh, we're... we're isolated in our own families and, and all that kind of stuff. We're trying to keep social distancing, which is very, very important. But don't worry alone. Don't feel like you're in this all by yourself. Instead, let's collectively work together at this time where so many of us are in need, where so many of us are worried about our health, about our jobs, about the economy, about the health of people that we love, about how this is going to change our lives and the uncertainty that goes with it. Don't worry alone. Instead, let's work together. Jesus calls us to a different way than just, uh, you know, cowering by ourselves and, and worrying. Instead, he wants us to know that we don't have to worry alone. You're part of something bigger, a bigger family with a heavenly father and with brothers and sisters that can come alongside of you. One of the greatest resources that God gives us when we're worried and when we're trying to figure out how to work through difficult situations is each other, is our siblings. And we're all called to be part of that family. By the way, you're called to be part of that family if you don't consider yourself religious or a Christian. Um, but, but right now, in this phase of your life, all of a sudden you're realizing you're needy and you're vulnerable. You need to know that Jesus' invitation is for all of us. Come, you don't have to live all on your own. There's a heavenly father who loves you, who will provide for you. You can trust him. 
And you can be part of communities, churches, even now when most of our gatherings, all of our gatherings are virtual or online, you can be part of a community that lives that way. Here's uh, one way that we want to resource you to help do that at this time and help to spread that kind of love and care to people around you. We want to provide you with a a neighbor-to-neighbor card or a love-your-neighbor card. You can get this uh, attachment on the newsletter if you're part of our newsletter mailing list, or you can go to our homepage on our website and you'll find it there uh, where you can download one of these cards. And the cards simply give you a template to give uh, your name your phone number, some of your information, and then uh, to go safely, uh, obviously, from a a physical distance and maybe drop these cards in your neighbor's mailbox uh, where just ask them if they need anything. Here's who I am. Here's where I live. I'm your neighbor down the street or in your building. And if you need someone to go get groceries for you and drop them off on your driveway, if you need someone to pick up a prescription, if you need someone for anything, I would love to help. And in that, when you do that, we would love for you just to to go to some neighbors and drop that off uh, and let them know that you're there for them if you're able to at this point. And your card might be a way of saying to them, you need to know that God knows your need. Because there are a lot of people in the world who might be thinking right now and a lot of people in our neighborhoods who might be thinking that they're alone, that they have to figure this out all by themselves, that they have to need to run and seek and figure out how to make everything fit and bring themselves back together. And we have an opportunity to show people around us that God knows their need. And that we as brothers and sisters can go and share our resources with them when we can to do that. Jesus concludes by saying, therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Tomorrow never really comes. Tomorrow's always a day away. And so today we have the opportunity to do what we can do today and let tomorrow worry about itself. I'll tell you this, it is natural for us to be worried at a time like this, to have moments and maybe prolonged seasons where we're worried. But you need to know that God knows your need and that you have, whoever you are, a heavenly father who loves you and values you, and who will show up for you no matter what you need. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Our Heavenly Father, who knows what we need. God, give us confidence of that. When we are the ones of little faith, God, build up our faith. Remind us of who you are. Remind us of how valuable we are to you. God, help us to be the kind of people who embody that fatherly love as brothers and sisters and people who love the world around us. Would you help us to go and to share your providing love and therefore to let people know in our buildings, on our street, in our neighborhoods, in our city, and in the world that they are not alone. Let them know that you know their need. God, we ask very practically that in the coming days and weeks and months, that you would provide for us. I pray specifically for those who have already been laid off, lost a job, or dealing with decreased income already. People who perhaps are ill or are vulnerable and and more at risk uh, to getting sick at this time. God, that you would provide peace, that you would provide practical help, that you would provide people who can 
in the, the, the most practical ways. Show your love. And God, we will trust you to be our heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Westside. Being together looks a little different these days, but we still value coming together to experience community and teaching in a new way online. So thank you so much for joining us and tuning in wherever you are. My name is Zach, and I want to spend the next few moments to share a few announcements and updates with you. First, I want to remind you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. When you do, it helps us reach more people, but it also helps you stay connected by sending you notifications and alerts each and every time we upload new content. Also be sure to like and share our messages so that we can help other people discover the hope of Jesus. Second, we know that pausing in-person Sunday services impacts the donations we receive and the need to fuel our ministry. So thank you so much for your continued support and generosity throughout this difficult season as we navigate new and creative ways to reach people, to engage with people, and to point them to the good news of Jesus. So here are three main ways that you can give during this time. You can give online through our website, by text message, by texting Westside Hamilton to 77977, or by sending cash or check in the mail. If you visit our website, westsidehamilton.com forward slash give, you can find more details there. Next, I want to tell you about two great ways that you can connect and engage with us throughout the week. The first is our brand new podcast. Last week, we launched the Westside Church podcast, where you can find weekly Sunday teachings and bonus episodes all in one place. And if you haven't heard already, every Tuesday and Thursday, we're going to be releasing new episodes of our podcast segment called Westside at Home. We want to come to you and connect in the middle of the week and share short, practical, and encouraging insights from Pastor Dave. You can currently find our podcast and our first two episodes of Westside at Home by visiting our website or searching on Spotify. Simply head to our website homepage, westsidehamilton.com, and click on podcast in the top menu bar. This will take you to our podcast page where you can listen to all of our episodes. You can also click and access our Spotify page from here. We will also have more platforms available soon for you to subscribe and listen. Secondly, many of our life groups are continuing to meet during this time to offer support, community, prayer, discussion, and connection. If you are looking for community during this time, please reach out and connect with us. You can send us an email or sign up on our website, and we'd love to help you get plugged in. Lastly, we have two important announcements for you. The first is Good Friday and Easter Sunday is coming up this week. And we are excited to have some special elements for you to experience this Easter weekend as we celebrate together online. For Good Friday, remember to pick up some bread, juice, or wine this week. We'll have an online service at 10 a.m. this Friday, April 10th, for a time of communion together. So prepare a small piece of bread and cup of juice or wine for each person who will participate and we'll take it together. And for Easter Sunday, be sure to invite your friends to watch on Sunday, April 12th for a special celebration around the resurrection and new life Jesus brings. 
And finally, we want to resource you with a practical tool to help you show love to your neighbors. We have Love Your Neighbor cards available to download by visiting our website homepage or through our weekly email newsletter. Remember to practice safe physical distancing as you find ways to care for your neighbors. Thanks again for tuning in online, and we look forward to seeing you again shortly this Friday and Sunday for our Easter services as we celebrate together and reflect on the meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection. We'll see you then.